Welcome to Radar, a podcast featuring exclusive interviews with artists of today. This program can be heard at thevinyldistrict.com or anywhere fine podcasts are found. Here is your host, Evan Toth. Let's start with the bad news so we can get it out of the way. Musician A.J. Croce lost his father, famed singer-songwriter Jim Croce, before he was two years old. As if that weren't enough, A.J. went through a long period of blindness as a child, and in 2018, he lost his wife from a rare heart virus. Faced with those challenges, most of us might not be able to find the strength to carry on, let alone produce a rich catalog of music and maintain a busy performing schedule, but that's exactly what Croce has done, and that's the good news. His brand new album, by request on Compass Records, features Croce utilizing his impressive piano skills and vocal stylings on a number of familiar songs, but with his own reworkings and unique spin. The goal behind the album was to give listeners an experience as though they were attending a house party thrown by Croce and hearing him entertain the intimate gathering with well-known chestnuts and unexpected gems. Join Croce and I on this episode of Radar as we discuss the new record, his very eclectic vinyl collection, and the importance of the healing power of music, how sometimes music is the only prescription that truly succeeds in mending our wounded souls. Hey, Mr. Croce, this is Evan Toth. How are you? Hey, man. How's it going? Good, good. How are you going over there? <laughs> I'm doing great. It's actually a nice day here in the mid-50s for a change. <laughs> it's, it's nice. Another uh, vinyl collector out there. Yeah. Are you, uh, you collect records? Oh, man. Forever. Yeah? Since I was a kid. Um, 78s, 45s, LPs. Oh, you're in the you're in the '78 uh, world. That's a world I have not. I I dabbled a few times, but I can't. Uh, I I have to it's stop a, myself somewhere. I had to get rid of 3,500 of them just because I've moved so many times across the country between here and California, and they're so freaking heavy. They are. Uh, and um, and I regret some of those, but by and large, I kept my favorites. <laughs> That's good. What did you have? Did you? I get. I would imagine you you had some Just New Orleans most type. Of that, most I've got I've got all kinds of stuff, but most of those seventy eights were were classical uh, and opera that I that I uh, got rid of, but there were a few albums of Caruso that I wish I still had wow. a few Maria Collis's that I, uh, albums that I wish I still had. There were a couple of performances by, uh, Rachmaninoff that I wish I still had that where he was performing his own music. Um, so, so that most of that was classical and opera that, that I got rid of. I kept most of the, uh, the blues, the jazz, the rock and roll, the country, um, and some, uh, and a, you know, handful of like novelty things, you know, but, um, you know, I still have all the sun stuff and, and all this, you know, all that stuff from the, from the fifties. And of course, specialty, all that little Richard stuff and Imperial stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I'm glad that you mentioned uh, uh, the classical and stuff because, you know, one of the things that kept coming up in your bio and your, your information as I was learning more about you is is your eclectic, uh, your eclectic side. And I'm a very eclectic guy, too. So I, I also have, you know, I, you have the Little Richard stuff, you have the funk, you have the blues, as you're just talking, but I also have yeah. big chunks of classical that I love. I love my Bach. I love my, uh, yeah. my Mozart. I have uh, all, you know, all my Bernstein things. And, uh, and, oh, nice. And you know a lot of uh, a lot of uh, you know modern classical too that that's still taking me time to get into and really understand. But that's the kind of guy you are. So that's a good yeah, segue absolutely. to this interview. Always want to learn. Yeah. Why is it so hard for people to sort of get that? You know what I mean? They they like. Well, there, I think there's a couple factors. There's sort of a brief window in most people's lives where they um, they're really open to to hearing new music there's you know their childhood where it's the world around them and they're absorbing everything regardless of genre and those things become uh nostalgic and then there's the period where they become more proactive into looking at music that really you know gets them off and that's like you know in their teen years up through their mid-20s and a lot of people just stop looking after that i mean unfortunately you know i I, I can't tell you the number of times that have you know uh, people have come up to me after a show and said oh, you know that song is from my era, and I and I just think music's from every era. Right. You know, music right. is from it's from every era. I mean, I mean, Bach's not from your era. You know, Chopin's not from your era. Little Richard isn't from your era. But but still, you find it and you and you love it and you embrace it. And uh, music's for all time. Good music. Yeah, good music. That's what Duke Ellington said, right? There's two kinds of music, uh, good music yep. and bad music. I think that's... That's right. And he's right. Right. He's almost always right. Right. I think the greatest composer of the 20th century. Yeah. So tell me, the new album is called By Request, and why don't you, why don't you tell us about it? So this came about as I, I had been on tour for, for some time, and I was throwing different things into the show, and... And I was throwing in songs that were had been requested at parties at my place. Yeah, you know, I love entertaining in more normal times. Each one of these songs is you know, a different memory of a different evening from a different close friend. So different friends requested each one of these songs. Some of them I might not have picked, except that I, it was such a great evening. It was so much fun. Sometimes, uh, you know, the, my friends were musicians, sometimes not. The songs that I play where they're most like the originals are ones where friends came over and were players and knew a particular version. Right. Say, you know, um, and then and then there were ones, because I've, I'm an improvisational player and have always improvised, then there's, you know, there's examples of that as well. Right. And um, I think, you know, as you say, the album's vibe is supposed to have kind of this house party feel. How did you work to sort of translate that into the studio to get that sort of that sort of uh, casual vibe going on? It, it was actually relatively simple because um, we recorded live. That's that's the main factor. It It's you know it felt it felt live it sounds live um you know if i had my druthers i would have recorded at my house it wasn't a practical thing to do but i would have loved to have had a bunch of friends over and you know um friends that were musicians and just recorded it here that's not practical so we ended up going to 
uh, studio um, just, you know, about two minutes from my house that, that is, you know, in a house. We recorded it all to two-inch, 16-track, and it really sort of captures that that energy. Plus, all the all the basic stuff where, I'm, you know, I'm singing and playing everything at the same time. So it, it really has that in-the-moment sort of feel to it. My touring group, you know, with, with Gary Malibur on drums and David Burrard on bass and, and um, Garrett Stoner on, on guitar, we'd been touring for, for some time, and so we were all really comfortable with the material. You know, I tried a bunch of other stuff out, too. And, I mean, I had thousands of songs to choose from. I started off playing jazz and R&B and soul music and rock and roll and all different kinds of stuff that were, that were cover songs. That's how I made a living when I, was, when I was young. And so there was plenty to choose from. It was just that this really focused it on the, on the more personal aspect of cover songs. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the concept of those uh, Beach Boys uh, where they have like a fake party happening in the back of a Barbara Ann and stuff like that. And they're like, right, yeah. right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I did that. I did that with, uh, with the, uh, ain't no justice. You know, shorty long. Right. Last tune. Song. Yeah. yeah. How did you narrow down all those songs? You know, I mean, I know that you, you know, as you said, it was a, a large, you know, your, your, your repertoire is so big and you're an eclectic guy to begin with. How did you just get it to 12 songs? It's that's tough. <laughs> you know, it was tough. It, was tough um mostly i was thinking about um i was thinking about the band that i was playing with i was thinking about my voice you know there's plenty of songs that i love that i'm not i'm not great at singing so you know there was that but i don't know i think it was just it was kind of again it was it goes back to the moment when i performed the songs like that particular randy newman song which i did uh, it was requested by a friend who was more familiar with the with the Flaming Groovies version of Have You Seen My Baby, mm. and and so I liked it, even though it's not one of my favorite Randy Newman songs. I I loved the idea of approaching it from that angle, sort of imagining what if Little Richard sat in with with the Flaming Groovies. You know, what would that sound like? Right. And um, so I approached it sort of with reckless abandon, you know? Yeah, that's cool. It's like uh, trying on different personas for these, uh, t- giving these tunes a different uh, costume to wear, too, a little bit. Exactly. With the Beach Boys song I did, you know, I sort of imagined it as as if Chess Records, it was a Chess Records recording sort of meets, if, if Chess Records had a psychedelic period, say in 67 or 68. And so I'm playing harmonia. I mean, I obviously I'm playing a piano on and vocals on the basic track, but then arranged it for flugelhorn and trombone and baritone sax, as well as a bass harmonica and harmonium. So, you know, there's, there's all these different kinds of aspects to it. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that song up because I think you really, uh, uh sail on sailor is one of my favorite beach boy songs, which is weird because the vocalist wasn't even any of the, you know, right. Was Blondie was, yeah. Blondie's, yeah, uh, but you 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 give it a different spin. You give it a different vibe. It, the the core of the tune is still there, but but you know it's in a different. It, it's almost like you can imagine how the song might have been written to begin with before it was produced in the studio. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, your dad was uh, mostly known as a guitar man, and what brought you to the piano? How did you get to uh, to the eighty eight keys? 
Well, you know, there was a piano at my house, uh, and there was a piano at my grandmother's house. And before I could, you know, really stand up straight, I was already figuring out that it made it made an amazing noise. While I, I, you know, when I was a little kid, I got lessons. I, I'm left-handed, so it made it hard for the teacher at that time. And it was hard for me anyway to, you know, play the guitar when I was that young. Right. three four years old but you know i i lost my sight when i was four and w after that uh, i got turned on to um you know ray charles stevie wonder and that had a you know profound influence on my playing and how i want you know how what i heard in in music so that you know took some time i was couldn't see for about six years and um during that time i really dove into the to the instrument it's tough to find a good rock and roll piano player nowadays there are guys that really can pound the piano but don't have too much technical skill and there's guys that have the technical skill but they're kind of afraid to you know damage the instrument but your playing style hits hits really the right blend of excellent playing and you've got the wild abandoned jerry Lee lewis stuff happening there too can you tell me about your style and and what you think really makes a good rock and roll piano player? You know, a lot. There's a lot of factors. You know, I think that I can play precise, but that's not always satisfying. You know, um, for for me as a listener to what I'm playing, or for the listeners, I think that there's a certain imperfection, and this goes for all music. There's a you know, there's certain imperfection that is human and makes me feel like. It connects for me, you know, and I think it connects for an audience. So finding that balance between precision and 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 you know that reckless, um, youthful sort of approach is 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 really the key. The other thing is, you know, I listen to so much music, uh, so many different styles of music that I love absorbing it, whether it's you know world music or you know. Brazilian or or uh, you know, tangos from Argentina or African music or Middle Eastern music, Indian music, all of that plays in. Of course, you know, Af I went back from Ray Charles and learned um, Fats Waller and James P. Johnson and all of that. You know, stride stuff was the hardest stuff to play. Right. So I dove into that when I was young, and I and I sort of you know moved through the era of swing with Ellington, Fletcher Henderson, and Basie, and all of that stuff into the the jump era and the R and B era. Leon Russell and I had written a lot together, and we, we had a lot of we had a lot of uh, conversations about piano players because while he wasn't a particular influence on me uh we had a lot of the same influences whether it was the guys i just mentioned or you know little richard or ray charles or you know the boogie players from the 40s like mead lux lewis and albert ammons and uh, pete johnson and then you know later uh, johnny johnson there's always uh, been an influence of new orleans uh in my playing and I uh, worked with a lot of New Orleans artists over the years. And so, and that's really interesting because it takes a bit, you know, it's kind of the roots of blues and jazz, but then it has sort of a, a Latin feel mm. um, that it's, it's sort of this voodoo sort of Latin vibe that definitely comes from, you know, West Africa at some point rhythmically, but is, is really unique. 
So whether whether it's you know someone like Fats Domino that people know, or um, Tits Washington, or Toussaint, or uh, Long Hair, you know uh, James Booker, all that stuff plays a role. Do you are you aware of anybody you know playing now? Any younger folks that you feel sort of capture that purity with the with the piano in a certain way, or anything? anything cross your radar you know i i i don't i've i've heard of a couple of of young players um but i haven't heard them in person you know uh there's a young uh guy here in town here in nashville who i've heard is is actually very diverse in styles and and genres and is really good at playing you know new orleans uh, style piano as well as as whether you know other genres i haven't heard it you know there's not a lot of us left that have you know borrowed from so many different places right. i mean strangely with all i've said and all those players you know sometimes i find that you know Thelonious monk playing solo is some of the you know closest music to my heart yeah um, just because I really hear it and I, I love the melodic dissonance. I think that's sort of the other balance between, between reckless and precision is, is that balance of melodic dissonance. Yeah. Well, I, and I, I play piano too. And when I first, you know, started hearing Thelonious Monk too, something just clicked. I was, Oh, this makes sense. You know, this makes uh -huh. sense. You have to, Absolutely. I think you have to have this, the right brain for it. You know what I mean? Otherwise it's just, uh, maybe not something that you're fond of, but, uh, right. I think for some people it's just dissonance. They don't hear the, they don't hear the the melody, but to me it's, it's really profound. You know your backstory, as your as your press uh, indicates. You know you you've had a lot of uh, uh, a lot of bad situations, and you know you lost your dad at a young young age. We talked about your blindness, and uh, of course you uh, heard you you know you lost your wife. I'm very sorry to hear that story. And um, you know knowing your backstory, it makes some of these tunes like "Ooh Child" feel that much more uplifting and wistful. How, you know, how does music help us to kind of heal our wounds? I I can't think of anything that's quite like it. I mean, I think there's a lot of placebos out there, you know, that that might, you know, might help temporarily, but you know, music is is one of those things where it affects us on a lot of different levels. You know, it affects us. That's that's a good thing about a song like that that, you know, people of a certain generation know and grew up listening to on the radio as, as several of these songs are there is there is a connection to it um that that we have you know and and it is healing and it makes us feel good and i think uh i think you know music is 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 medicine it certainly saved my life without a doubt well listen we're in this weird world right now and you've got this new album out what's the what's the plan what's next and uh, when are we getting on the road when are we doing something <laughs> that's your last question is is the hardest to answer all of my dates from last year got rebooked fortunately knock on wood nothing got canceled but um at the time things were also getting added so i'm booked through this year and next year completely and um I couldn't be more grateful for that. 
uh, I don't know when I'll really start back. My guess is probably early summer. Uh, I think there'll be some shows here and there. There might be some one-offs. I'm going to do a special uh, album release concert uh, here in Nashville with uh, with uh, most of the players from the from the recording from by request, and that'll be recorded. People can watch that. They go to my Facebook. They can learn about it. But otherwise, you know, it's hard to say. Um, um, as far as uh, new music goes, I mean, I've been I was writing before I recorded uh, by request, which was completed, you know, uh, a year ago. So. Um, so I'm I'm really ready to go back into the studio and record some of the the newer songs. I also have another project with a group called Anti Ballast, which I've been working on um, independently from them for about seven years. Oh yeah, the funk the funk group. Yeah, yeah you yeah. know, sort of an Afrobeat. Oh, group, I love that. Get, I love those yeah. records. Yeah. And um, you know, but they're so diverse. You know, they they were like sort of the house band for for Daptone, and um, and we just connected and and sort of brought them the project that I had been working on, and we just kind of clicked. And I really like the guys, and they're talented players. And so, you know, that's a that's a project down the road too. So I've got a lot on my plate. Also, been working on film, you know, number of film projects. So. I'm always looking for inspiration and new adventures in music. Cool. Well, listen, we're excited about the, the album over here, and it sounds great, and uh, I hope you're proud of it because it's terrific, and, uh, man, you're a great piano player. If, if, if everything else is a lie, it's that you're an awesome piano player, and I really love <laughs> listening to your, your playing. It's just great. Oh, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, man. You're very welcome. All right, Mr. Croce, thank you so much for your time. Hey, thank you. Take care. Radar is produced by Evan Toth in partnership with WFDU 89.1 FM and the Vinyl District. You can hear Radar on WFDU 89.1 FM or anytime online at thevinyldistrict.com. <laughs>